Hey, I'm Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, believe it or not, and uh, I'm glad that you are here. Man, I, 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 I want to get on that train, but sometimes I, I'm a little worried about getting on that train because you know how it goes when, when you hope for something and you hope for something and you hope for something and you hope for something, when you dream about something. You, you know how that goes, right? I mean, once in a while, once in a while, the hopes and dreams come true, but oftentimes in our world, they simply don't. In fact, the, the writers of Scripture wrestle with this. They struggle with this. In Proverbs 13, one of the writers says, A hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you know, maybe, maybe the world has made you sick. Maybe life has made you sick at some point. I mean, maybe it would be good if you could just get a win these days. And you know, maybe for you these days, what you need is you need your, you need your kid to have a win. I mean, just one. You need your spouse or, or, or somebody that you know, somebody that you love. Like, God, just give them one good day. Give them something. A hope deferred makes the heart sick. The rest of that proverb says, but a longing fulfilled, a dream, a hope, a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. And that's, that's beautiful. The tree of life is, is sort of a bookend in the Bible. It's right at the very beginning, and, and, and the humans kind of ignore it, but then it's at the end. And by the end of the story, the tree of life has grown, and it's flourished, and it's in full bloom. And there's this city, there's this space. It's, it's kind of like this space where humans and God come together, this place. And there's a river that runs out of the city and on both sides of the river. There's the tree of life, and the scripture says that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And don't our nations need healing? You and I need, need healing. I want, to, I want to get on that train. But if I'm really honest, that train sometimes is hard for me to see, and that God is sometimes hard for me to see. I mean, I just, I just don't see him. Like, where are you today? I don't feel you, and I don't see you. What's going on? I'm confused. And, and maybe for you, maybe, maybe you grew up in a stream of Christianity, or somebody taught you that, that really all you need to do is, you know, you, you just you look at the Bible, and it's like this to-do list, and if you, as long as you do these things, Things, then this, is, this will be the result. Like if you raise your kids and you follow all the rules, and then this is going to be the result. You know, it's a plug and play. Like the Bible is a manual for life. It's a rule book for life. It's a playbook for life. I, I grew up in that sort of tradition as well. And the problem is, is that it doesn't work that way. Life is much more messy and quite frankly, much more beautiful than that. And the scriptures aren't so much like a to-do list or a punch list, but rather a story. And really a grand story and a grand narrative. And, and, and really, it's, it's filled with conversation. And it's, it's ancient and it's ambiguous at times and it's diverse. And it's, it's like this wrestling with life and God. And it, and it doesn't so much give us a to-do list as, as much as it leads us to wisdom and leads us to the one of wisdom. Maybe for you, it's hard for you to see the land of hopes and dreams. It's hard for you to see that God. 
Again, the writers of Scripture wrestled with this. And in Psalm 13, the writer says, How long, O Lord? I mean, you ever feel that way? Like, how long, O Lord? I mean, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I want, I want to know that you're there. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wait? Like, come on. Come through for me. I'm here. I believe in you. I'm following you. I'm trying. And again, sort of, we, we sort of had this idea that if we just do these things, then this will be the result. And again, God says, okay, it's not that every little hope and dream is going to come true, but here's the deal. I'm going to lead you to me in the midst of the hopes that don't come true. And I'm going to teach you to dream again out of the ashes of the ones that didn't come true. And this is how the scripture works. This is how the story goes. And when we find ourselves in that story, then we can reach a place where I believe we can hope again and dream again. I want to I get on that train. I want to get on that train, but I'm concerned because there's some sketchy people on that train. You know what I'm saying? I mean, did you hear some of those characters? I mean, saints are okay, but sinners? I mean, okay, we're all sinners. I, I, I get that. But there's some, like, really big sinners. Like, there's some, some of you are really good sinners. You know, I mean, you're good at that stuff, right? I mean, I'm good at that stuff. I mean, I get a little worried about that. I get a little worried about what some people will think if I'm hanging out on that train. I mean, there's winners, and we like winners, but losers? I mean, some of you are like little losers, a little bit bigger, big losers, right? So, you know, we like winners, though. We, we want it up and to the right. We're middle and upper middle class. We want the better car. We want this. Our kids going to this school and that school. And I'm not saying that any of that's necessarily wrong in and of itself, but I do think that sometimes we have to stand outside of our culture, and we have to look at our culture, and we have to go, you know what? Our culture bows at the altar of success. And we need to name that. Because there's something better than success. There's something better than just success for yourself, success for your family. There's nothing wrong with that. But I believe that there's a deeper level, and it's living on the significance level. What if our culture got caught up in that? I just think sometimes we need to recognize the the water that we swim in. Sometimes we're the fish that doesn't know it's wet. And we kind of go with the culture. Whores and gamblers and lost souls. What what are you guys going to say if I'm hanging out with those people on that train? What are we going to say to one another? You know, you, know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I want to get on that train, but sometimes I'm a little scared to get on that train and ride with those people. But you know who did? You, you, you know who, who was all aboard with that? It's, it was Jesus, right? We've been talking about this, this question, where's Jesus going? And we've been looking at the fact that he goes to all sorts of different places, and Jesus was all about hanging out with all sorts of different people. I mean, he broke all sorts of rules. When you read the story and and you sort of take it in historical context for his context and his time, he did some really weird and 
and radical and dangerous things. I mean, some of the things don't seem that dangerous to us. Like he lets the little kids come to him, which, you know, for us, it's great. You know, we, we look at our kids and go, we needed to give them the best of everything, you know. But not in that day and age, you know, hey, step aside. Don't go to the rabbi. You don't, you don't go and bother the rabbi. Jesus let women sit in the place of learning and discipleship and leadership in his group, which was a radical idea. He doesn't do the ceremonial washing that he was supposed to do. He, he breaks the rules of the Sabbath, and he, and he, and he kind of has to reconfigure people's thinking about what Sabbath is and that it's not so much just laying around or not doing these list of things, but it's, it's doing justice to life, to yourself, to your relationships. He, he just puts everything on its head. He hangs out with people that he wasn't supposed to hang out with, whether it was ethnically or whether it was religiously. He breaks all of these rules. He had some really bad habits. And one of the things he did is he, he went to these parties he hung out with these people that, that no good rabbi would hang out with. And, and I just wonder, are, are we at the party too? Are you at the party too? Because if we want to know where Jesus is going, one of the places that he's going is he's going to the party. I mean, I promise you, it's actually in the Bible. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to look at a couple parties just briefly this morning. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is walking along the road, and he sees this guy. And here's how the story goes. It says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now, Levi is also Matthew, and I don't know why all these Bible people have to have two names. It's rather confusing to me, but he's also Matthew, and Matthew is one of Jesus' closest followers. He's one of his disciples, and he actually writes the very first book in the New Testament called Matthew, believe it or not. And he actually talks about this story as well. You can read it in Matthew chapter 9. And so Jesus walks by, there's Levi, there's Matthew, and Jesus says, follow me. And it says, Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And so with Matthew, we don't know why, we don't know the backstory, like we don't know what he knew about Jesus or what he heard. Had he been listening to his teaching? Did he hear the rumors? Did, did he see him in action? We don't get that backstory. But what we do see, and I think what the writers of the story are trying to communicate is, with Matthew, there's radical change. I mean, there's radical change. At Lakeside lately, we've been saying for really for a long time now, let's go further. What would it look like for you to go further? In your relationship with Jesus, in your spiritual quest, in your relationships with one another, what would it look like to go further? And we've been saying, hey, let's just go further. I think one of the things that it means is that there's change that's necessary. And in some cases, for some of us, there's radical change that's necessary. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. How much did that cost? Like financially, relationally, religiously. Like what are the things that he gave up for this new life of following Jesus? I think there was a cost to that. 
Verse 29 says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now, now some of you may know that eating in this culture communicated much more than just hanging out and we kind of like each other and we're going to have a meal together. It's like, I mean, in our culture, it's still a bit like that, but the ancient culture was like that on crack. I mean, it was like exponentially huge. So when you ate with somebody, it was a statement. And part of that statement was, I accept you right where you're at. I want to be with you. I love you. I care about you. We're friends, like friends in the deep sense. It communicated all sorts of things socially. It said something to those that weren't at the banquet. And there were those that wouldn't go into the banquet. You know, these these religious leaders, and the story continues in verse 30. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these religious leaders who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, and I don't know if they complained to his disciples because his disciples were outside. Maybe his disciples were thinking, Jesus, you went to the party, but we ain't going to the party because we know what's going to happen if we go into that party. I don't know how that worked. But they complained, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why in the world are you getting on that train, Jesus? I don't, I don't get that. Jesus answered, so I don't know if he played telephone, if he went out to them, if he drug them in. I don't know how this went. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, so the writers of the Bible at times, they, they love to use irony. And, and here's one of those places, and we can't miss the irony. I have not come to call the righteous... The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, they were the righteous ones. They would walk around, and Jesus talked about this. They loved to be seen by people and practice their acts of righteousness, and they were respected, and they had power. And so here's these leaders, and, and, and Jesus is sort of poking at them. I have not come to call the righteous, and you could put like air quotes, the righteous, They were righteous, but they were self-righteous, and their righteousness was misguided, and it was some sort of different type of righteousness, and I think that's why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses, exceeds, goes beyond, is different than the righteousness of these religious leaders, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus shows up, and he shows us a different type of righteousness. In fact, one of the things he does is he shows us what it means to be human in the very best ways. And I don't know about you, but I need that because sometimes I'm human in in the very worst ways. This is a beautiful encounter. In, in Matthew's own story, when he tells, tells this story about himself, uh, he has Jesus quoting from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament book of Hosea, and he, and he says to these religious leaders, he says, go and learn what this means, which was a slap in the face because they were the learned ones. They, they had memorized their scriptures. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he fundamentally tries to shift their thinking about what it means to be in relationship with God. 
Now, sidebar here, I don't think that Jesus agreed with every little thing that Levi did in his life or that Matthew did. I don't think he was like, okay, okay, I'm having a meal with you. That means every little thing that you do, I agree with it and think you're good to go. No, Matthew needed a heart change as well. But at the end of the day, it's not the religious leaders that know the heart of God. It's Matthew. They knew the scriptures, but they missed the heart of Jesus in the process. Jesus says, I'm going to the party. Come with me. There's another party that he went to, and maybe you, maybe you have heard this story. It's about a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he can see. Yes, I went to Sunday school. Thank you very much. <laughs> Fifth grade, the Excellence in Sunday School Attendance Award at my little Lutheran church. That's right. Didn't miss a Sunday all year. Didn't do me a lot of good, but, but you know, I was there. I was present. You know, I was, I was, I was filling up a seat. So there's this guy, Zacchaeus, and he's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector in his region. So he's like in charge of all the other tax collectors, and he's wealthy. And he wants to see Jesus, so he climbs up in this sycamore fig tree. I was in Israel last uh, uh, October, and I saw a big old sycamore fig tree, and I thought, yeah, yeah, that, and even a little guy could climb up there. Yeah, boom, that, that's awesome. So he's looking at Jesus. Jesus comes along, and he says, hey, come down, because I want to go to your house today. I have to go to your house today. So Jesus goes to his house, and there's a dinner in honor of Jesus. It's, it's another party, and he's hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners once again. I mean, Jesus just had some really bad habits, and he just went right into the middle of it all. And, uh, man, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. Like, like what were they talking about? Like, what was, what was Jesus doing, you know? And, and uh, were they sharing their lives? And, and was Jesus teaching? And it was really formal and buttoned up? I don't think so, you know? And I just think it would have been awesome to be there. But I tell you who wasn't there but who saw Jesus go there was these religious leaders again. But this time, it's not just the religious leaders that are complaining. In the story, if you read it, it says, all the people began to mutter. Brad talked about muttering last week or the week before. Do you remember that? I can't do it like Pastor Brad. He does, woof, 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 woof. I can't do it kind of like he, like he does. But I know how to mutter. I mean, let me tell you, I, I got a degree in muttering. It's like, it was a minor degree in college, my undergrad, but it was muttering, I tell you. In fact, my wife knows that I mutter and kind of complain sometimes, and so she has this great sense of humor. I, I came home several years ago, and it, it was kind of a rough day at work, and I was, you know, I'm, I'm muttering, and she was waiting for me at the door filming me. And, well, go ahead, and you can watch this. Come through that door every night, calm, urbane, with a smile on his lip. <laughs> oh, hello, Fran. I see you finally got home. <laughs> Did you have a tough day, dear? Yes. And it was so hot. I bet it was terrible on the job. And the traffic must have been awful. <laughs> a diamond in the rough, and they don't come any rougher. What a day. What a day. Anybody have the spiritual gift of muttering like I do? Yes. So here we have another party. And if you read the rest of the story, we have another person's life that was radically changed. 
And Zacchaeus stands up and he, and he starts like showing radical change. He starts making restitution. He's like paying people back four times the amount that he cheated them. He's, he gives half of his wealth to the poor, 50% right off the top. I don't know what that cost him. I don't know how wealthy he was. But sometimes going further requires radical change. And what he do know is this, is that the mutterers missed the heart of God, and Zacchaeus found it. And he found it because Jesus was willing to go to the party. Well, what does it mean for us 2,000 years later that Jesus went to those parties? Like, like, how about for us? Like, if the scriptures lead us to the heart of God, if the scriptures lead us to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, if the scriptures lead us to live life with wisdom, what does that mean for you? And this is where we have to wrestle with it. This is where we need one another. This is where we open up the scriptures together and go, like, yeah, how do we apply this 2,000 years later? What does it mean for me to go to the party I think possibly, maybe, maybe it means a few things. One of the things that it possibly means is that there is no place that God won't go to pursue people. There are no boundaries when it comes to God pursuing the heart of people. To pursuing you. Pursuing me. Your kids. and Your grandkids. I was on a trip in Ethiopia about five or six years ago, and our, our little team, we memorized Psalm 139 together, and it was fantastic. Just spent three weeks meditating on this chapter and memorizing it, talking about it. And I love this little section in here that says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand, your hand of comfort, your hand of authority, your hand of power will hold me fast. The writer goes on in verse 11 and he says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. It's possible right now that your life is dark. You're going through a tunnel these days. God wants you to know that he's there. He's with you every step of the way. It's possible that you know someone who's going through a dark time these days. So the wisdom that we have to wrestle with is, do we need to be there, like right there? I mean, isn't that the answer to the question, where is Jesus going? There's no boundaries with God. Another thing that I think that it possibly means is that sometimes... Sometimes we must follow Jesus when he leads us into challenging situations. 
I mean, sometimes we have to, like, roll the dice. We have to take a risk. We don't know how it's all going to work out. We're going to go to the party. We're going to get on the train. We're going to go next door. We're going to walk across the street. We're going to go down to the next cubicle. We're going to pursue someone, and we don't know how it's going to work out. There's no guarantees. Like, these are two stories of people that had radical life change. But there's other stories, because God has an open hand, and he doesn't manipulate, and he doesn't force anybody to get on the train. Instead, he invites, he beckons, he sits with us, he walks with us. Where's Jesus going? Exactly where we need to go. So maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's a challenging situation that you're facing these days, and you need God to give you the courage. Maybe you need somebody to go with you. And, and, and like you go two by two or you, you, you know, you, you kind of figure that out, wrestling and using wisdom. But maybe that's God's plan all along. I mean, maybe his plan is to get on board with all of the bruised and all of the battered and all of the broken and all of the bored people in our region. Like if Jesus were here with flesh on like God in a bod, you know, like 2,000 years ago, where would he be going? Where would he be hanging out? Like, like in this city and in, and in this region, in your life, where would you see him going? Because that, that's where we need to go. And so we wrestle with this together. Here's the third thing. The third thing is, is I think sometimes religion has a way of writing people off. And I think we need to admit that. I don't think people these days are not spiritually hungry. I don't think people are not interested in spiritual things. In fact, I think Jesus has a lot of good street cred in our culture today. The research shows it. The statistics show it. Conversations, my own experience tells me that. I, in fact, people, people are drawn to Jesus. Like, he, wow, that guy's a cool dude. Regardless of what they believe about him, it's like, yes. Yes, let's live that way. What if everybody lived more like Jesus did? The problem that they have is with this scary thing called the church. Their problem is with us. We're the ones with the reputation problem. Because religion oftentimes gets it wrong and writes people off. And I think that's what these narratives are trying to tell us. They're trying to show us that we have to be careful not to miss the heart of God in all of our coming to church and studying the Bible and singing the songs and planning for activities and doing this, that, and the other thing, those are all fantastic. But let's not miss the heart of Jesus in the midst of it. Because the heart of Jesus says, I'm going to go right where I need to be to reach that person's heart. You know why we get so excited about baptism at Lakeside? Baptism is this thing where it represents what Jesus did for us. It's, it, it's Jesus dying and being buried and rising again. It's resurrection. And, and when, we're, when we're baptized, we're saying, I identify with that. Thank you for that. I want to follow you, Jesus. It's, it, we're telling a story when we're baptized. We get so excited about baptism because it's this, it's this one way that we see life transformation. And that's our mission at Lakeside. 
It's just one of the ways that we see. See, God is still changing lives 2,000 years later. Like, this is exciting. In fact, next weekend, we're going to have a baptism service. Maybe you've been thinking about this, and, and, and if you want to be baptized, just write, I want to be baptized on, on your Connect card. Put your name and your number and all that so we can find you and help you, and it'll be fantastic and tell you what to bring. But, but it's not too late if you want to be baptized next week. Drop that into the basket as it comes around the room. But that's just one of the ways that we, we experience the demonstration and the evidence of life transformation, and we just believe that it's beautiful. And so is there in your life one person that if you stopped and you thought about it, like one person that could use a smile, a conversation, um, a theological conversation, or just maybe a conversation about life, maybe somebody that you can just sit with and you don't have to say a lot of words, and maybe somebody that you just sit and you just listen to them and you just hear their story and, and, and it's kind of no strings attached and, and I love you no matter what kind of a situation. Is, is there just one person? Because there is so much power in just one person reaching out to another. My life was changed by one person when I was in third grade. Second grade's a whole nother story. I mean, some of you might know my story. Second grade was a rough year for me. I mean, I was a new kid, and I had flaming hair. I had lots of freckles. I was Bobby Brady. It was the 70s, and adults thought I was cute, but I was a target for kids on the playground. Let me just tell you, the, the guys on the playground, they were not nice about this. And so I spent most of my playground time sitting in the penalty box because I was like, all right, let's go. Let's fight. And I, I, I went to a new school, and I wasn't... Um, very advanced, shall we say, academically. I, I, I didn't realize that I had these learning disabilities, and I didn't realize that I, I, I actually have Tourette's syndrome, and I had a lot of tics when I was younger, and I couldn't read, and, and, and the, 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 kind of the pages and the letters, everything was bouncing around all the time and, and switching around, and I didn't learn phonics anyway. And, and so I got to this new school, and I was always asked to read out loud all the time. Like the teacher got some sort of like kick out of Sean, it's your turn to read out loud. It's the 70s. There's no breaks for anybody. Sorry, buddy. And so they're going around the room. And there were these girls who had like a great aptitude for language. You know those girls in your classroom? They wouldn't know a learning disability if you jumped up and bit them on the you-know-what. Like they got this kick out of saying, no, Sean, you don't say it that way. Here's how you pronounce the word. And I was just always sort of like drowning in this. And, and I remember these days of walking up into my mom's room and looking out her window and seeing the bus come by for school. And the only way to get out of it was to start bawling and claim that I had a stomach ache and say, I just, I just need a break. I need, I need a break from second grade. Second grade was not a fun year for me, but third grade was amazing. Because in third grade, I met Miss Myers. Miss Myers was our student teacher that year, and she was young and energetic, and she used to spend individual time with all of the students. And I can still remember her voice right next to me, her, her calm and soothing and kind voice. And at the same time, she always expected me to work my hardest, and she spent extra time with me. I remember the time that Miss Meyer, she, she stood up, and she told the whole class what a good writer I was. I didn't, know, I didn't know you could be a good writer in third grade, but I was a good writer, apparently. And, and I just remember thinking, I, I'm good at something? This is fantastic. And she helped me. And, and by the end of the year, I, I had started to learn how to read a little bit better. I still never completed a book. Well, I completed one book before college, Little House on the Prairie. It was fantastic. 
I never got through a book. I couldn't read fast enough. And, 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 and I, but I had improved a bit. And at the end of the year, I actually won the award. This, this is hilarious because I'm terrible at math. But I won the award for being the best math student in the class. I'm 51 years old, and I still remember that. In fact, I still have the book, Charlie Brown's All-Stars, because that was the award that I got for winning that, you know, that contest or whatever it was. Miss Meyer made third grade a lot better. But you know what? She made my life better. Is there just one person these days that, that you could just sit next to and be with? that you could show the heart of God to. Because that's a train, and that's a party worth going to right there. And when we do, we will find the answer to the question, where's Jesus going? Because we'll be there too. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thanks so much for your unconditional, amazing love. Like Matthew, like Zacchaeus, we're lost without you. And yet, you pursue us, and you never stop. And in this room, Lord, there's no doubt tons of stories from one end to the other. God, there's... There's stories of people all over the map in terms of what they're going through, what they're facing, where they're at in their journey with you. And you know all of that. And so I pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would reach out and initiate a connection with our hearts, that you would draw us to yourself. Maybe, maybe we were drawn to you at one time, but... Maybe it's been a long time since we felt connected with you. And that's our prayer, Lord, that, that we would all have this connection with you, that we would be getting to know you. Because, God, we believe that you change lives. And so, God, our prayer is that we would go further in all of this, whether it's baptism or whether it's kind of crossing that line of faith for the very first time, that we would give ourselves to you. Maybe it's taking a step of leadership, and maybe it's just going to the party. So help us to wrestle with that this week and what all of that means for us. And at the end of the day, we'll just pause and give you thanks in your name. Amen.